Welcome, everyone, to the Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. His name's not Pete. Everything he told us was a lie. We're lucky he didn't kill us, too. The Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 111, Danger Close, is sponsored by NYPD Uniform Costume Rentals. Nothing but the best of New York's finest. Uh, well done, Pete. And well done, Netflix. Since we have last recorded an episode of the Punisher podcast, news came down that there will be, there will be more Frank Castle in season two coming at a date that is who knows, because getting this first season out without major controversy was challenging enough. But I'm glad that the content of the season has been recognized by Netflix by uh, by the Marvel TV folks, and they're going ahead with the second season, even though I think genuinely there was a safe argument to be made to say, hey, this first season turned out well, it's going to be difficult to do other seasons just because there's violence in the world, so let's quit while we're ahead. I'm glad that they did not do that. Yeah, I think it's going to be at least 2019. In fact, I would peg it as safely it'll occur in that year. But great that they got the renewal. This has been the most unexpectedly um, successful, I believe, uh, of the uh, the Marvel Netflix shows, and you know they're they're behind Iron Fist in terms of uh, the schedule at this point. So, hey, we will get them eventually, and and that's all that matters. And uh, you know. Big congratulations to Steve Lightfoot and uh, John Bernthal and everybody associated with the show. I think adding to to some of the interest in the second season beyond, hey, there's going to be more Punisher, um, with this Disney-Fox deal now, um, shall we say, initially complete. There still is 12 to 18 months of regulatory, blah, blah, blah. And with Disney still continuing on creating their own competitor to Netflix, which I think many people... Uh, at this early stage would assume is going to be used utilizing Hulu to some degree if minority owner Comcast allows it. Bottom line is this, 2019 is when that Hulu competitor, by, pardon me, that, uh, that Netflix competitor by Disney is supposed to take place. If they are not just going to yank their movie content and their rerun content from Netflix, but if they're taking everything, um, that might not mean old episodes of Marvel Netflix disappear, but if they're not going to make new stuff, so you now get pulled to, I don't know, the Pete, finally, the Turk Barrett show that's going to be on Disflix, and, and that's where new content will go. Um, will they sunset these shows by simply saying, and now we're not going to order another season of Daredevil or Jessica Jones, et cetera, et cetera. This, I mean, if they start a writer's room right now, they're probably, I mean, probably be irresponsible to start filming in three months. It's probably more like six. You film for six months, then drop it a year after that point being maybe marvel netflix continues into the diz flicks era i mean it certainly could i think the uh the idea at this point is where it is it remains um until some kind of other precedent is set but we'll have more punisher uh again 2019 would would be the date i think to circle at this point well, let's get into this Punisher right now with a recap. Frank Castle is a wanted man, and Billy Russo is happy to say so on television, just as a bloodied Frank returns to Micro's garage. After the title card, Frank silently cleans himself in the world's dirtiest washroom. 
He rejects Micro, saying that their partnership is over since Micro went to Madani without permission. In Sarah's house, she and her children talk about Pete, a.k.a. the fugitive Frank Castle. Zach storms off with his phone. Later, we can infer that he has gone to call the Castle tip line. At the Department of Homeland Security, Madani questions Billy on tape as to his role in Stein's death. Billy denies everything, saying he was only at the scene of the crime to take her home, to bathe her, to continue their intimate relationship. But she's got more. She knows about William Rawlins. Speaking of Rawlins, he sets up a private meet with CIA Deputy Director Marion James and floats some trouble with Frank Castle. She chastises him for his lack of integrity, but seems concerned that the idea that his crap will end up on her shoes. All he needs to fix it is access to New York City's surveillance infrastructure, and this problem will be stopped. It's not murder, he says. It's disposing of unwanted ordnance, which is all Frank Castle is to him. This is intercut with footage of Frank Castle spray-painting the Punisher logo on his vest. The use of that surveillance is muted by the next quick scene, Madani getting told by Rafi that she can make things right by getting to Castle and Micro. Back at Sarah's house, the NYPD, or rather, baddies posing as the NYPD, enter Sarah's home. The blocking of the scene is great. The officer makes his way deep into the living room before it's clear something is very wrong. Leo is unseen upstairs. Zach runs, but is caught by a second officer. At Micro's garage, Frank is saying goodbye, and that skull in his vest is to show them that he's coming. But will Frank's actions spill back on Sarah and family? Hey, where are they? A quick rewind of their live cam footage shows their abduction, and we see a softer side of Frank again. He calls Leo, and they set up a meet, though it's revealed that Frank is sending Micro to meet his daughter. Frank's new plan? Wait for the baddies to come to the garage, find out information concerning Sarah, then kill them all. We see that Sarah and Leah are tied up in a warehouse, Rollins and Russo looking on. Rollins remains confident, but Russo is skittish. Back at DHS, Madani and Rafi share with Marion James that William Rollins is under suspicion, but Marion says Bill Rollins, so many bills, is a great man. Besides, the CIA cleans up its own laundry. Maybe she'll think on it. And think on it she does. Later in the episode, she meets with Rollins and tells him that she cannot abide his corrupt ways. Let's pin it all on Billy Russo, then Rollins is out of the CIA. If not, she'll hand Rollins to DHS herself. Ahead of Micro meeting up with Leo in the park, aw, there's a montage of Frank prepping his weapons. Later, the baddies enter the garage and it turns into a killing field. Luckily, we're on the Punisher's side. After the firefight, Frank calls Billy. Billy offers an exchange, Frank and Micro for Sarah and Zach. The episode ends with tension. Madani has been called to meet with Micro and Frank and Leo. It's time for them to truly work together. Elsewhere, Billy is at the garage, seeing the dead and the torture video. For him, it all seems to be falling apart. Pete, we simply must start with the villain of this episode, the guy who continues to break our heart, Billy Russo. Yeah, with a clock on him come the end of this episode. For what? Hmm, who knows? But uh, everything has fallen apart from him from this 
scam he was running, Matt. He was running Madani. He was running Wallens, Rollins. He was uh, running Frank and Curtis. And now he's just running. Uh, as much as I enjoy the actor and indeed as much as I enjoy the charisma of the character, I mean, there's an argument to be made that though Rollins is the big bad, and if I was going to make a make a prediction, you know, Billy gets it in episode 112 and Rollins 113. Um, I still like the fact that you can see how easy it is for for all of a sudden, you know, choose your metaphor. The floor is coming out from uh, from under Billy. Um, he's painted himself into a corner. However, you want to slice it. Because as you said, Pete, he has played everybody and he's always thought that he's one step ahead and kind of that, that arrogant pretty boy who knows with his, knows that he can solve things with his charming smile and his uh, $500,000 car and his uh, tailored suits and all that when he's just a thug at heart. Now it's finally coming home to roost and he, he really does lack the elegance or the, the prescience of a Rollins or a Marion James, which, you know, both of whom we will discuss in a bit. Yeah. And, you know, outside of their circles, when they cut him loose, this is going to be obviously a test of resolve and, and resources. I know he doesn't have both. Um, we'll just have to see how it plays out. I love, too, how later in the episode, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Deputy Director James, who in no way wants to do the wrong thing. And we get this great monologue about how uh, she's overcome panic attacks by essentially always choosing to do the right thing and not being conflicted. Her solution to to do the dirty laundry of the CIA is, yeah, we will pin it on this guy after all. So everybody is gunning for him, including as high up as you can go in the CIA almost. We'll talk about her, you know, intently in a little bit, but back to Russo coming in there for the discussion with Madani in what I think is the exchange of the episode and looking into the camera and, you know, tainting um, any video she's getting from him at the time there, obviously with their encounters as he uh, puts it. Um, he really, really is a snake and Frank calls him out on it. You know, the Billy Russo I knew would have come himself, but I got people for that now. I got staff for that now. Well, he don't got any staff now. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you consider the number of people on the books and off the books that have been killed, under right? his employ, <laughs> just in these episodes, it was what ten or eleven in uh, Gunnar Henderson's place, and then probably another six or seven at the uh, at Micro's garage. Uh, the four or so that were off the books at the uh, DHS meet a couple episodes ago. Pete, I'm starting to think that maybe maybe this is the wrong guy to lead Anvil. He's uh, he's out of dudes, man. He got no dudes left. <laughs> um. You mentioned the scene with him and Madani. I appreciate so much, and this is going to sound almost counterintuitive, but I appreciate that they continue to show Madani's power by the fact that she can occasionally have that power equaled uh, in this scene with her and Billy where it would be easy to just have her be, you know, the boss and I'm going to shine the hot light on you and you're going to tell me and, uh, you know, you're going to blah, 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 that kind of thing. It makes her a more realistic character to have somebody mm -hmm. of Billy's power in the world be able to, to give it right back 
echoes of when she was trying to grill uh, Karen a couple episodes ago and and got it back as well while it somehow de-elevates Madani from this high perch of the best DHF per, DHS person yes. ever. Um, it makes her more realistic, which makes her a better character. And that's so important that you point that out because she lacks this moral high ground in the case with Russo, even though she's attempting to play it. And that comes up in the conversation with uh, with Rafi Hernandez. So I really appreciate that they don't shy away from that. Not, ooh, you did the bad thing. Um, and and though you brought the guy in that you were having a relationship with, um, you know, th this show does not play black and white. And I think that's the best way to do it. Um, Frank has has made missteps. They all have. Nobody is perfect. This this is not the idyllic comic book superhero show. This is super shades of gray. And it's it's been played so smartly. Well, we go from Russo, the mad dog, to Zach, this uh, little yapping puppy here who, A, I love that the show does not overly telegraph and overly show and through insert and beep, boop, beep, hello, right. special call line. But I just love that they let the implication carry through that Zach calls the tip line, which brings – can we say rogue agents from the CIA or off the books ops people or whatever it is? It's this it's this rogue wing of the CIA comes into his home to kidnap him, his mother, and they would have gotten his sister if they knew she was there. This kid, I'm telling you, man, um, Micro has some work to do when and if they finally get reunited. Uh, he's got a lovely daughter who's resilient. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe we can flip it around and say, why don't you be a little bit more like your sister? You angry, petulant child. And he's hurting. We get it. Um, you know, the, the lack of this male influence. But, you know, throwing around the football with Frank has not fixed him. And... You know, whether he's ripping on uh, uh, Pete, who he, uh, you know, thinks is the guy who was, uh, you know, holding a knife to his neck and, and throwing the football around with him. Or it's making what we know to be the mistake of calling the cops. And I don't know if I can truly fault him for doing that. If this guy appeared on the news and you had interacted with him. I think that temptation might be very, very strong. Um, but what does it bring down in terms of story consequences? Well, it gets him and his mom abducted and, and put in chairs and on the other end here from Rousseau and Rollins, which is not the place you want to be. So this kid's got poor judgment story-wise. You do make an interesting argument that he gets to be a villain in the narrative while honestly acting uh acting objectively uh heroically i mean he became aware that somebody who he thought was an average guy is now wanted by the law he has trust in in trust in the police he makes a call he does the thing responsible citizens should do if you see something say something mm -hmm. it just happens to be intercepted by rogue agents of the cia who then you know perform an illegal operation and kidnapping etc cetera, etc cetera. so Pete, I like that we can both dislike Zach and still like Zach as a result of his actions. 
he also happens to be a complete jerk and credit to the kid um the actor who's playing him that way what a what a good job of making us dislike this child hitting the sister earlier um you know the the sympathetic scene when uh frank held that knife to his neck a couple episodes back and said do it uh really really good job and again the mark of a good actor love them in the role or hate them in the role not eh, he was okay as the kid whose dad faked his death kobe frumer is the actor both he and his uh his uh on-screen sibling played by ripley sobo there's a genuine nature to both of them where it's more mm -hmm. than just like i'm a hollywood kid who knows hit my mark and go to school for three hours in between scenes like and right whether like he's... Pat, patsy as a child from uh, jessica jones <laughs> exactly and looking at this kid's resume i mean he's done a whole ton ton of stuff probably just quick count here i don't know um 15 20 jobs if you include episodes individually tvs movies uh tv shows movies you know he's he's great she's just as good with a little bit of a different energy of course and um i don't know credit to them both credit to the production for grabbing these two kids because yeah. they're really uh, they're really phenomenal and hopefully they'll stick around and have uh, at least another season more work indeed pete let's move to rollins who i suspect won't be around next season i mean between Billy and Rollins, one of these two Bills has to see his way out by the end of the season, if not both of them. Uh, the actor, Paul Schultz, wonderful. Uh, Rollins, somehow worse by comparison to his uh, CIA compatriot, who we're going to talk about in a bit. Um, Rollins also steadfast in, it's okay to, ad to abduct this mom and kid. Let's not have moral qualms at all. It's just taking out an unused, some unused ordinance, that's all. The two scenes he has with uh, Deputy Director Marion James and from the first, well, hey, uh, this is our involvement in this to the scene on the overpass later uh, where she talks about having some stuff on her shoe um, truly illustrate the trappings of wealth and power. We, we've noted before, and I love to talk about William Rollins III of the Virginia Rollinses, diversified in all sorts of uh, interests. But this guy is the epitome of what can go wrong when wealth and power intersect. We don't want people like this in power, in government, with their really, really shiftable ethics when it suits them and he's compromised his boss and now he's brought her down and it's it's by that comparison that we really uh get it hammered home how awful it is what he's done i mean if the uh you know torture of an afghani police officer didn't do it for you and all the other things that we've seen the shipping home of heroin in in uh the honored dead and so forth but when he gets when he gets that talking to by his boss to just really say, no, 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 we stand for certain ideals. We, we, we stand for certain principles and you have, um, 
you know, you have, you have gone over the line here. It's a great reminder that, that he is in many ways, truly the big bad of this season. Yeah. And with Mary and James here and, and Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio just does a great job with the conflict when they meet early in this episode at the uh, the, the Riverside location there. I mean, I, I find it a little hard to think that this 30 year vet who's moving up in the CIA is going to have a hard time affording Yes, even my alma mater of Columbia University for her twins. Somehow they'll muddle through. Um, but yeah, the the compromise that goes on in her principles and you bring her in in that meeting with Madani and uh, Rafi Hernandez and the evasion and the omission and the half-truths and everything like that. It's it's really compellingly written um, in a way that you could see people trying to save themselves at the same time. She very clearly makes a choice, and it's the wrong one. Pete, judging by the briefest of Google searches here, a deputy group director in the CIA, you're looking at uh, between $160,000 and $170,000 a year, um, which, I mean, considering I think some of the whether it's top top White House people, president excluded, but you're you're in the neighborhood of two hundred two hundred twenty five thousand as your cap. Uh, I'm certainly sympathetic to the prospect of her sending two kids to college at the same time on on a salary that that relative to what her value would be in the private sector would you know is probably a a tenth, a fifth, a, a single percent of what it would be out there out there working for the private sector. So a little sympathy there. I think it's also I'm sympathetic just... to anybody who would send two twins to a, uh, to a private school. Um, but I, I think it was slightly over overplayed. Fair enough. I think if nothing else though, a, it was an excuse to get, pardon me, not to get her to New York because of course she's not there to glad hand to get her her twins in i think the story point is there to show that she's not there to glad hand that there's other there's other information because she is so above the books that yeah she's going to be i'll say a handful of blocks of course it's probably what she's at the un so she's probably 30 blocks away from columbia if not more but she's going to be in town it would be easy enough to to do that but she dare not do it because she's so clean so i appreciate the story point there certainly but she's not so clean. She's completely complicit now. That second meeting makes her part of this in every way. The non-deniability. Okay, yeah, he's going to pay with his job, but you're still going to put Russo down. This is not law. And also she's going to let go the issue that on American soil, a crime, you know, <laughs> Department of Homeland Security is the name of the department. There was a security violation right. in the homeland in a federal level because these DHS agents were taken out by what off the books offshoot that didn't know it, but you know it was a CIA operation at the end of the day. Um, so I certainly agree with you there. I'm not trying to suggest that she's she's faultless. Um, the story. No, and again, us- that con that conflict and and seeing what what is a believable human reaction. That's why this show has been so smartly done and and why people are watching it and talking about it and it's been renewed. It would be very simple to make her Rollins, we're done. 
I, now turn on them, uh, my guards here, uh, my detail, whatever it is. No, you know, it, it's she finds out a little bit, uh, but we're, we're close and you have influence, Rollins, and, and I want you moving forward. You didn't tell me I'm angry with you, but I need something out of you. You know, it's that conflicted nature. It, it's never just a black and white choice. It would be so simplified. Um, I'm really interested to see how she tries to cover her tracks. Well, Pete, perhaps a little less conflicted is the last baddie on our list. Somebody who appears on the list as dirty scar cop. What has dirty scar cop done to us? He's shown up in the Lieberman house. And the moment that you see a scar on the side of his face, you're like, this guy's not an NYPD cop. And then he asks for the daughter and you know, he's not an NYPD cop. And chasing Sarah, uh, you know, the, the fight in the kitchen there, um, even as Sarah points out, like my boy is 11 years old. You have no right to question him. Um, it, it was unsavory from the start and no wonder it, it did not work out. Well, Pete, with after this episode, only two episodes left, what theories do you bring to the table today? Let's talk about Micro suddenly being able to stitch Frank up after trying to help Curtis early on and nearly fainting when they were working on Frank. That is an excellent point, Pete. And I will, I will admit that the, uh, what, what I suspect in retrospect is the, uh, the old magician's trick of look over here while I do something. And the look over here in the script is let me tell you a really compelling story about how I wanted to be a vet. And there were the squirrels and the birds and grandma's sewing kit and a triage station in her basement. The whole thing. I'm like, Oh man, this show, like they just get like into these, they don't mind doing a 60 second monologue on your childhood desire to be a pet. I had completely forgotten that he could not handle the sight of human blood. Right. I mean, when Curtis was working on, um, Working on Frank, he was going to barf. He had a really hard time with it. And now he's, you know, wh where was that story then? Uh, and like you said, I get it. But it's not so much as a theory as it is like, okay, you know, it, is this Lieberman? Like, has he been replaced? And suddenly it's it's somebody else who can, who can do these veterinary procedures and stitch Frank up. How badly was Frank beaten up too? And he's kind of right back at things a little while later <laughs> the guy has taken we've, we've seen daredevil take a beating um obviously the nature of luke cage and and jessica jones is different in terms of their physical uh gifts although you know luke took the shotgun to the face and you know had to had to be worked on after that um but frank is a pincushion man he is he has gotten shot several times even in this episode getting shot point blank to that skull memento mori vest now um the guy's indestructible yeah let's talk about that fight scene for a moment not exactly an in-universe theory here but i guess a production theory that i want to send your way never does that big fight in the uh in micro's garage never does it turn glorious never does it turn no you know like desperado to me is the best the best action porn i've ever seen just because it it relishes as they're fighting in the bar just relishes in 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 the heightened fun of people getting shot never in this scene you're always rooting rooting for the punisher but never is it 
you never want to be on his side. It's all kind of awful violence. Yeah. Um, it's brutal, Matt. There's no other way. And the darkness of it, uh, physically and figuratively in terms of sneaking up on guys and pumping, uh, you know, knives in the sides of their faces and everything that goes on there and into it in that setting, you know, we had talked about the first time, uh, we showed up in, um, in micros, uh, you know, area there, would it stick around as a setting? And I'm so glad that it culminates in this big low lit fight there that, that Billy can't even be bothered to attend. He's got people, Pete. He's got people. Uh, speaking of Billy, speaking of Rollins, as we were earlier, Pete, let's, let's hear your theory here. Who's going to get it in the next episode. If either of them, the show's been so, wonderfully unpredictable that I don't know if either of them goes in that episode. I don't know. I mean, I know a couple things, um, moving forward, shall we say, but do either of them have to go? Well, that certainly is interesting to consider. Um, I, I know, <laughs> Some shows, i.e. in humans, they have the sin of we're going to save all our really awesome stuff for season two or, you know, uh, the killing on AMC. I mean, my goodness, probably close to 10 years ago at this point. But, oh, man, it's such a hit. We don't need to resolve that thing that we said we resolved in the first season. Now it's too much of a hit. We'll save it. We'll resolve it next season. Um, each season should have a sense of finality, even if the story continues. I guess I had not considered that both of them could walk away, but... That's uh, that's not impossible either, Pete. I like that. Look at Fisk with Daredevil season one, you know, to to have that continue to remain out there. Now, I'm no way arguing that William Rollins, the third of the Virginia Rollins is, is <laughs> <laughs> the guy that, you know, we couldn't even speak his name for three episodes lest you get your head, you know, slammed to death in a door. But um there's just something about the Punisher's corner of this universe that they've carved out that has the unpredictable, violent nature, um, again, that comes with this subject matter that you both expect and don't expect. You go back to that last episode and the hotel story and the way that everything unfolded and you know, the, the end of, uh, Lewis Wilson. And I, I just don't know if the story demands that one or both of these guys go. Well, I demand it. So fingers crossed there. <laughs> uh, any theories on your end, Pete? Is Marion even dirtier than we think? I think the show would be well done if we have some sort of sense of justice some sort of sense of a hand on the tiller that is uh, that is going to keep things okay and if you want to tell me okay she's handling this um slightly less than black and white because the cia is going to clean its own dirty laundry and this gets everything done the billy who's guilty of stuff gets to atone for stuff uh that probably means frank gets 
snuffed out as well. Okay, he's done bad stuff, and we get to preserve this nation's uh, relationships with other countries, which is something that you know Rollins threatens will happen if she doesn't uh, follow his plan. Okay, I don't know that that's the worst thing in the world, but um, it would be quite a twist to find out that, how about this, Pete, that maybe she's the big bad for next season because she's in league with, you know, XYZ. She, she's working with Fisk to get him out of prison, whatever it might be. Yeah, I, I think an actress like Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio and, and what she provides, I just still think it's so funny she's playing a character named Marion because of the, the Robin Hood um, Prince of Thieves movie <laughs> where she played Maid Marion. When I heard them call her Marion, it's like, no. <laughs> hey, who knows? It could have been, could have been, you know, that the character's name was, uh, you know, Susan James until it was, uh, until they got her and it was like, oh man, we got to change this character's name. I, is, it, is it homage? Who knows? Like, Matt, is there a connection? Is this a Marvel supervillain who was made Marion and, and now is undying and Illuminati in the CIA? Uh, yes, that's it exactly. And, <laughs> There Surprise for season two. It's not Arrow, but Robin Hood Reborn is going to come back and it'll be great. <laughs> Robin Robin Hood's bow and arrow versus the Punisher's bullets. Whose side do you choose? There you go. Well, Pete, we know that we've had some loyal listeners choosing a side. No, this isn't a Patreon plug. It's something else, Pete. Tell, tell people the injustice which occurred. I, I wouldn't go so far as injustice because I truly feel that that people should have their say, uh, whether it's wrong, whether it's right. But um, let's put it this way. Some coward gave us a one star rating on iTunes and didn't even bother to give feedback as to why we're one star. And we know that those in Fantastic Geek Nation who know how it really is, they will rise up, they will write uh, reviews to which they will leave their names, unlike uh, cowards who are just going to snipe and uh, bounce and, uh, you know, turn our, our sagging four out of five star rating with with five ratings um, to where all of our other 13 podcasts are on iTunes with uh, highly respectable ratings. So thanks in advance is all I'm saying to our listeners. There we go. Support always appreciated. And indeed, Pete, the support on patreon.com slash fantastic geek appreciated as well, particularly this time of year as the Patreon man asks for his money and uh, we are we are able to oblige proudly listener supported. That Patreon man and then the the net neutrality people and all the other things. Imagine how complicated that potentially could get. But, you know, you listening who are, are so kind to contribute, uh, thank you just so much. And uh, we really, really can't repay you. We try to with the various perks that we put up there. And we're always uh, thinking about what we can add put up there for you so there's some exclusive there's some there's exclusive content for everybody who contributes and and then you pick the perk after that and we're not unopposed to uh perk suggestions so you can certainly let us know about that as well uh so thanks for visiting patreon.com slash fantastic geek could not do it without you Pete, the best perk, as always, is being able to talk with you on Twitter. How can people do so? 
You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R 9,717 followers. Can't be wrong. While I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can meet up to the podcast anytime you like. Visit FantasticGeek.com, email FantasticGeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram where we are FantasticGeek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash FantasticGeek with the P-H. Like it today. Well, Pete, if you are listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast, we will be back on Tuesday to discuss Runaways. We will be back on Friday to discuss Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Are we getting a Punisher in before X-Mass? Yes, we will be dropping a Punisher on Thursday. Uh, We have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Friday. We got some Christmas plans for you guys as well. So uh, finishing strong here as uh, 2017 ends and uh, right back at it for 18. Well, with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Yeah, you got my number. (laughs) 